0: good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, how's everybody doing? Y- you don't know me, um, but that's okay because we know Jesus, right? Amen. <laughs> Can you guys stand with me? After, after we get started, I don't care if you lay down, you, 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 you're on the ground, you jump up and down, you sit in your chair, it, none of it matters to me. Um, I just like to start standing up, amen? And if you can't stand up, it's, it's beautiful. Um, yeah. Let me pray for us. Like I said, you don't know me, but somehow I'm going to lead you into worship. So there's a place of trust here, isn't there? I'm going to pray that just God would knit our hearts together this morning. So right now, just fix your eyes on Jesus this morning. That's why you came, right? We didn't come just to do church. We came to encounter God because our hearts desperately need So Father, I just pray for us, God, I give us our hearts to you this morning, God, in our minds, so we can say, God, we're here for you. We're here for you, God. So when you walk into the
1: room, everything changes, darkness starts to tremble, at the light that you bring, when you walk into the Every heart starts burning
0: Bye. Tell me love him this morning. Because worship starts with the very personal, soul. the very personal, God, we love you. Just feel some people are here in a really tough spot, <laughs> and that's okay, because you came to the right place. Because when you worship Jesus, you put, fix your eyes on Him, all the tough things don't look so tough anymore, right? Come on.
1: There's no place I'd rather be No place I'd rather be No place I'd rather be Here in your love, what is simple, simple No place I'd rather be No place I'd rather be No place I'd rather be
0: Say it with, say, I want more. Say, I want more of your love. Say, Father, I need your love. I need your love, God. Father, we just pray for today's service. God, I thank you, Lord, for the message that you're about to release over our hearts, God. May our hearts just be fully tilled and ready to receive the seed of the word today, God. Thank you God. We just lift up our praise to you God. Amen. Amen. Good job. Come on. Can we give a shout of praise? Come on, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
2: Amen. All right, now you guys can grab a seat. You know it's been a good worship set when your stomach starts hurting, you're like, I either need to do more core or man. Like it is fun. I'm, I don't know. Okay, never mind. Hi, Glad you guys are here. I'm Jesse. I'm just so grateful that you are here. This is my buddy Jesse. Uh, One of the things I absolutely love about the church in Costa Mesa is that there's not 60 different churches. There's one church. Jesse is a lead pastor of another church, and he had the morning off, so I said, come and hang with us. And so I'm just so grateful that he is hanging with us. Um, Yeah, it's fun. So we are in the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are a bunch of them in the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that one home or if that one is kind of messed up because it's been used a lot, I'll even give you a new one, okay? We want to make sure that you have access to God's Word. Um, We are slowly, at first, working through the letter of Revelation, and the reason we're taking it slow is we're just trying to kind of dip our toes into, for what some, is kind of a scary letter. But what we're finding is that rather than being scary, when we begin to realize the heart of what John, and ultimately Jesus, through John, is telling us, is incredibly encouraging. It kind of breathes new life into the way that we're looking at the world, into the way that we look at our circumstances. Now, after the first chapter, which we spent a couple of weeks unpacking, that first chapter, we get a glimpse of Jesus. John does, and he kind of articulates it to us. He sees seven golden lampstands, each of which represents a city in Asia Minor, which would be today modern-day Turkey. And John had a heart for those cities. Specifically, he had a heart for the church communities in those cities, because he was kind of like the spiritual father of that area. He had been overseeing it. But he was now imprisoned on an island called Patmos, about 10 miles off the shore. And so as he is worshiping on a Sunday morning, caught up in the spirit, he gets this picture of these seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of it is one like the Son of Man, radiant, and he knows this is Jesus. And he's brought to his knees because of the holiness of Jesus. And Jesus reaches out his hand. He says, don't be afraid, John. Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of your circumstances. Get up, because I have a job for you. And he invites John to stand up, and he says, I want you to send a letter to those seven churches within those seven pagan cities, and I want you to write what I tell you to write. And today, we are coming to the second of those messages that he gives to the city. Today, we're looking at the city of Smyrna. So, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. This is what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your, your poverty, yet you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they're Jews but are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, there's a lot there, and we're going to unpack much of it today. But as we often say here, context is key. Understanding what was going on in the church at Smyrna will help us begin to make sense of what Jesus is saying to the believers there so that we can then take the next step to say, okay, now how does this speak to us in our context? So let me very briefly paint a picture of what life was like in Smyrna. Smyrna was a beautiful city. In fact, it was called like the flower of Asia. It was, it was a very beautiful place to go. And Smyrna loved to be first in everything. They loved to consider themselves the best in everything. And they, in fact, on their coins, they had stamped first in beauty and size in all of Asia. Super humble city, right? They loved to be first in everything. But one of the things that they absolutely, well, the other thing that they were, really proud of besides simply being first in everything and being bigger than everybody else and being more important than everybody else the other thing that they loved to be uh kind of celebrate was the fact that they had once died as a city about 600 years before jesus was born they they were destroyed as a city and they were reborn about 300 years later 300 years before jesus was born and so when jesus writes these words They might take on a different tone to the people living in Smyrna. These are the words of him who is first and last, who died and came to life again. Okay, Remember, Jesus knows them. He knows about their city. He knows their circumstances. And so now listen to the words that Jesus said to them. Moving on to verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty. I want to lean into that first word. I know your afflictions. Can we, can we throw the, the actual word up there? The word afflictions is the Greek word thipsis. It literally means pressure, pressure or more, uh, you know, more literally crushing pressure. I know the crushing pressure that you endure on a daily basis. Well, where was that cr- pressure coming from? What was the source of that pressure? We know of two things in particular that were a source of crushing pressure there in Sardis. The first thing that was a source of crushing pressure was the community around them, absolute nationalistic pride in being a city that is part of the Roman Empire. They loved being a Roman city, so much so that if you walked through the city, you would find temple after temple after temple that were built to dead Roman Caesars. In fact, they were the first city in all of Asia, to build a temple to one of the Caesars. They were very proud of that fact. Because again, first in everything. Later on, around the time when Jesus began his public ministry, they made an attempt to win the right to build a temple to Caesar Tiberius. You had to actually kind of... It was kind of like holding the Olympics, right? Like you have to put in your bid. Can we do it? Here's the reasons why. And they won. They beat out seven other cities to be able to build a temple to Caesar Tiberius. But it wasn't enough just to build one temple. They built one to him. They built one to his wife Lydia. And they built one to the Roman Senate. They just wanted to show Rome how proud they were to be a Roman city. And so you can imagine, given their nationalistic fervor, You can imagine the kind of pressure that Christ followers would feel when they refused to worship Rome, and when specifically they refused to go into the temple, take that pinch of incense, throw it on the brazier, and say, Caesar is Lord, your little incantation that says, I claim my allegiance to Caesar Domitian. So there was that pressure. But there was pressure coming from a different angle, one that's kind of surprising when you think about it. You see, there was a Jewish contingent there in uh, Smyrna that they were given some freedoms by the Roman government not to have to take that pinch of incense and throw it on the brazier because they served one God. They had been given permission by the Roman Senate not to do that. They were also given permission by the Roman Senate not to send their children to fight in the military for Rome. The Jews appreciated the freedoms that they had, their, their freedom of religion, but they knew that it was something that was tenuous at best, that it could be removed, revoked by the Roman Senate at any point, for any reason. And so as you begin to have Christ followers, who are viewed by Rome as simply an offshoot of Judaism, begin to say, no, we won't bend the knee to Caesar. No, we won't take the pinch of incense. No, we won't worship him as Lord. The Jews began to go, oh my goodness, they're going to upset Rome. We're going to lose our freedom. And so some of the Jewish worshipers there in the city of, S- of Smyrna began to tattle on Christians, began to turn them in. Ultimately, they, in order to protect their own freedoms, were willing to re- revoke other people's freedoms. And this is why, about the second half of verse 10 We read, I'm sorry, the second half of verse 9, we read Jesus saying, I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews, but they're not. They are a synagogue of Satan. Why would he call them that? Because they are doing Satan's work for him. They are going out and trying to get Christians in trouble in order to protect their own freedoms. Pressure coming from both ways. And because of these, this dual pincher pressure of political pressure as well as religious pressure, we can begin to understand why people living in Smyrna, a city that was wealthy, nobody in Smyrna should have been poor. But for Christians living in, in Smyrna, they were poor. This is why he says, I know your poverty even though you're rich. We were rich in him, but they were impoverished there because following Jesus cost them greatly it cost them jobs if they were business owners it cost them business because roman citizens and jews alike would would kind of say we're not going to shop there if you if you refuse to do these things then we are we're going to refuse to give you our business they, they had pressure from the society around them and yet they were unwilling to bend a knee. they were unwilling to give in now i can imagine if you were receiving this letter And you hear Jesus tell you, I know the crushing pressure you are enduring. I know the poverty you're experiencing. Would that encourage you? It would encourage me if I was living there in Smyrna. And I can imagine what they would hope Jesus would follow that up with. I know the pressure you're enduring, and now I'm going to lift it. Now I'm going to step in, and I'm going to protect you, insulate you from that pressure. But that's not what Jesus says to them. Let's look at verse 10. Jesus says, do not be afraid of what you are are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, whether he means a literal 10 days or more of a metaphorical 10 days, like a a long period of time, because remember, in apocalyptic literature, numbers are typically symbolic. And so it would seem that 10 being the number of a lot, it's gonna be a while. You're gonna suffer for a while. But no, that's not going to be the end of it. Be faithful, even to the point of death and I will give you life as a victor's crown. In other words, what Jesus is telling them is the pressure is not going to lessen. The pressure is going to get greater. But don't balk. Don't give in. Don't cave. Don't bend a knee. Don't conform. Don't crumble under the pressure. I can imagine if you were a Christian living in Smyrna and you're reading this very encouraging note, you'd be like, why? Why won't you save us? Why won't you protect us from the pressure? You see it. You know what we're enduring. You you have the power of God. You could help us. Why won't you? What did we do wrong? Why are you punishing us? That's a good question, isn't it? What did they do wrong? What did they do to deserve the pressure that they're enduring? And the short answer is they've done nothing, at least nothing wrong. Of the seven letters, five of those letters, Jesus says, here's the things you're doing well, but here's the things I need to challenge you on. Here's the things you're doing wrong. The letter to Smyrna is not like that. There is not a single thing that Jesus identifies that the Christians in Smyrna are doing wrong that would lead them to have this pressure as a punishment, because it's not a punishment. Jesus will say to other churches, like the church in Ephesus, hey, you're doing a lot of good things, but you've walked away from your first love. Or to the church in Laodicea, hey guys, you're doing a lot of good things, but you have grown lukewarm. Christians living in Smyrna had not grown lukewarm. They had not walked away from their first love. Their motivation was 100% their relationship with Jesus, and it was passionate, and yet they were suffering anyway. In fact, I would suggest to you that their pressure that they were feeling was not punishment, rather it was the natural byproduct of their passionate trust in Jesus and their willingness to live as citizens of the kingdom of God within an environment that declared Caesar as Lord. That's why they're experiencing pressure. Paul, when he was writing to his protege, Timothy, in the second letter of Timothy, can we throw that up on the screen? He says this, Timothy, all who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. Not might be, will be. Persecution, pushback, pressure from the world to conform to the pattern of the world is a natural byproduct of living as a citizen of the kingdom of God within an a, a environment where people worship another god or worship another king. What we need to remember is the kingdom of heaven is crashing into our reality. That's what the letter, letter of Revelation is intended to do, is to peel back the curtain and help us see what's really going on in the spiritual realm. The kingdom of heaven is crashing into our reality, and it's pushing back the darkness of the empires, that bend a knee to the king of darkness. And of course, when that happens, there is friction on that that front. Christians living in Smyrna were enduring the crushing pressure of two kingdoms colliding. They were living as citizens of the kingdom of God within the kingdoms of this world, and they were enduring pressure because of it. Not because they were doing something wrong, but because they were doing everything right. Jesus actually warned us that this would happen. He warned his disciples. Can we throw that up on the screen? In John chapter 15, he writes, he he said this to his disciples right before he was arrested and ultimately crucified for us. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but you have been chosen out of the world. That is is why the world hates you. Remember what I've told you. A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. Jesus was well aware that as you, if you live as a citizen of the kingdom of God, persecution is the natural byproduct of that. Because you are living as light in the darkness. And those who are living in the darkness don't like the light. You don't believe me? If you've got a teenager living in your home, go flip the lights on when they're fast asleep. See how much they appreciate that. Now, I do want to clarify something. I, my life group on Wednesday night, a couple weeks ago, Jamie, who's in my life group, asked this really, really insightful question. She says, Eric, you've been talking about persecution a lot. And I'm just curious what you mean by that. Like, in what ways do you think we're being persecuted as a church in America? And she's absolutely right. I mean, when you consider the kind of persecution that people have been enduring for the last 2,000 years, and particularly over the last 100 years around the world, we may be feeling uncomfortable, but we're not experiencing the kind of persecution that leads us to lose jobs More importantly, to lose our freedoms, to be imprisoned or possibly even murdered for our faith. We are not suffering like that. That's not the kind of persecution we're experiencing. But what I can tell you is what we are experiencing here in the church in America is a pressure from a whole lot of different sources to conform to the pattern of this world, to become like the society in which we live. And those pressures can come from lots of angles. It can come from parents or other family members who don't share your faith and ridicule you at using Jesus as a crutch. It might come from friends at school who make fun of you because you don't join them in the way that they live. And then the things that they do. And that you don't mock other people the way they do. And so you've become now the source of mocking. It might come from a business. Where your boss basically tells you. Hey, whatever it takes to close the deal. You do it. And if that means you've got to bend the truth. Whatever it takes. You want to get ahead in this company? You've got to live by the values of this company. Not the values of your faith. Or it might come from political or or, or social leaders who basically are telling you, you just need to put your trust in me and I will protect you from whatever it is that you're afraid of. It might even come from social media or from influencers, whether they be sports stars or or movie stars or people who have nothing but a video channel that they like to show. And, and, And they are influencing us nonetheless. And telling you, this is what is worthy to be celebrated. This is okay. In fact, this is more than okay. This is worth celebrating. I got to remind you, what we celebrate becomes the norm. And so as our society begins to celebrate certain things, regardless of whether or not they correspond with the heart and the values of our God, there will become an incredible pressure to not only accept, but to celebrate that. And when you live as a citizen of the kingdom of God that says, he will be the source of my values. He will be the values that I reflect. You will find that there is a pressure to conform to the world. And if you don't succumb to that pressure, you will be treated differently. You will be mocked. You may be canceled. You may be ridiculed. And sometimes the source of that pressure is covert. It's subtle. Sometimes it's overt. It's right in your face. You can't even get into the church without noticing it. And what we need to remember today is that Jesus stands in the midst of it and goes, I know you're experiencing pressure. Don't give in. Do not in. Conform. I forgot where I was going with my notes, so hold on one second. This is what I wanted to remind us. It might be really easy for us to begin to look at the sources of that pressure, the people. Whether they be people that are in our own life, in our own families, in our neighborhoods, in our spheres of influence... Or people that are public figures out there, politicians and newscasters and other personalities. The pressure might be coming from those individuals or from entire groups of individuals. But I want to remind you that behind that, they are not our enemy. Behind that stands an enemy that we can't see, but is our true enemy nonetheless. Again... The whole point of revelation, the whole point of apocalyptic literature is to peel back the curtain so that we can glimpse in the spiritual realm what is really going on so that we can be prepared and so we can keep our eyes focused. And so I want to remind you that the people out there, even people who are clamoring and celebrating things that we, that that God does not celebrate, they are not our true enemy. They are image bearers of God, even if they don't know it. But we have an enemy. And so can we throw up Ephesians chapter 6 here? Paul, again, writing to the Ephesians, there in one of those seven cities, writes this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That spiritual enemy has a name, Satan, the adversary. And Jesus acknowledges that Satan is working overtime, even there in the city of Smyrna and here in Costa Mesa, to distract us and to get us to begin to pick one another apart. But he's the true enemy. And so we read in verse 10, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You might be thinking, the devil? Like if if we had a video camera of what was going on in the city of Smyrna, we wouldn't see the devil. We would see Roman soldiers rounding up Christians who refuse to take the pinch of incense and worship Caesar as Lord, and you'd have some Jews who are cheering them on. But where would Satan be? Satan is working behind the scenes. Satan is encouraging, is stirring up dissension, is whispering in people's ears, bringing accusation, bringing allegation. He is, and anybody who joins him in that effort is ultimately doing his bidding. He is our true enemy. And I love what one commentator said about his goal, because we are not his focus. Jesus is. We're, we're small fry. We are simply a means to an end. And the end for Satan is to thwart what Jesus is trying to do. Can we, can we throw that quote up there? This is from a, a guy named John White. He said, Satan's supreme object is to hurt Christ and Christ's cause. You personally are of no interest to him. It is only as you relate to Christ that you assume significance in the enemy's eyes. You know why you're experiencing pressure? Do you know why the enemy comes after us? Because he is trying to hurt Jesus. And I know this to be true. You want to hurt me? Hurt my kid. That hurts me. You want to make me mad? Hurt my kid. The enemy is after us. We're we're going to see that really on display when we get to Revelation chapter 12. We're not there yet. But we are going to see that we have an enemy who is working overtime to distract, to disrupt, to disrupt. Jesus is working out the, the inbreaking of his kingdom to divide Christ followers one from another, to get us focused on secondary issues so that we stop being ambassadors of hope, stop radiating hope into this world. And so we are under pressure, just like Christ followers in Smyrna. We have an enemy who's working overtime to thwart us, just like Christ followers in Smyrna. And it might be easy to get overwhelmed, discouraged, even scared. And Jesus speaks to them and he speaks to us and says, do not be afraid. Do not give up hope. But how do we do that? Because I felt it when we had people out videotaping last week. I felt it. I felt myself get distracted. I came on last Sunday to worship Jesus. And when there's people out there with video cameras, and they won't tell you why they're there. And you're like, what are you doing? They're like, we don't have to tell you anything. And I'm thinking, are they going to disrupt the service? And I got to tell you guys, last week, when I walked into here and we began to worship, I was not worshiping. I was hyper fixated on my circumstances. What am I going to do if they walk in and disrupt the service? What's going to happen? Why are they videotaping? Are they trying to get us in trouble? Did people walk in without face masks? Is that even the issue here? What's going on? And I'm freaking myself out. And I realized in that moment I had taken my eyes off of Christ. And I was placing them onto my circumstances. And maybe it's not the same for you. But maybe today you're having a hard time hearing what I have to say. Because your eyes and your focus are on your circumstances. And they're scary, so you're overwhelmed by it. And Jesus seems really small and your circumstances seem really, really big. And the reminder this morning is that we need to flip the paradigm around and we need to look at our circumstances through the lens of Jesus rather than Jesus through the lens of our circumstances. When we do that, we realize just how gloriously big he is and just how small those momentary things are. When I came in last week, We began worshiping. about halfway through the second song in our opening set, I realized my focus was on my circumstances and not on Jesus, and I just kind of zeroed in on the cross, and I just said, God, I entrust into your hands how this service goes, and my heart shifted, my focus shifted. All of a sudden, I could see him, and I could worship deeply, and it was a fabulous weekend, one of my favorites we've had in a long time until this weekend. Now, this is my new favorite. But when we focus on something other than Christ, our circumstances become really, really big. And so I wanna share with you four paradigm shifts or four perspectives that we can bring to bear on the pressure we're experiencing. And I just, I just have to give credit where credit is due. The insights that I am going to share with you right now come out of this book, Discipleship on the Edge. This is not the Bible. This is somebody's kind of a a pastoral attempt to make sense of revelation in a pastoral way. It is, if there was ever a companion to simply reading God's word that I would recommend for you, I would recommend Discipleship on the Edge by Daryl Johnson. The four insights I'm about to give you come from him. All right, so insight number one. The pressure that we experience only comes because we're getting closer to Jesus who is the real target. The pressure that we experience to conform is happening because you are walking with Jesus in the midst of a world that says, no, you got to worship something else. No, you got to act a different way. No, you need to put your trust in something else. And so if you are experiencing pressure, it is very likely that it's because you are actually following Jesus or you're standing against the flood of the earth that's trying to push you into its mold. If you're not experiencing that, I would, I would pay a little bit of attention because when, it's, when that pressure is absent, it probably means you're going with the flow. Only living fish swim upstream. The rest of them just float with the stream, but those are dead. Secondly, while the pressure might be painful, it is also purifying. Think about a, a lump of coal and a diamond. Both are made of exactly the same thing. The difference between a lump of coal and a diamond is a diamond has undergone extreme pressure and extreme heat. And that pressure has forced it to restructure itself. And it's burned away all the impurities. And what is left is something that is infinitely more durable and more capable of reflecting the light than a lump of coal. The pressure we are experiencing, the pressure we are enduring is actually a purifying... Yes, it's uncomfortable. No, we don't want to have to endure it. But it is making us a more durable, more capable reflection of the heart of God into this world. That we would be ambassadors of the hope as it just radiates in the myriad ways that we interact with people. Lumps of coal, they don't radiate light. They're good for nothing but burning. I choose being a a diamond even if it requires some discomfort. Third perspective shift. Throw it up there. There is a reward for those who endure. Go back for just a moment. Oh, you know what? Uh, We skipped one. I want to go back for just a second. Before we get there, Jesus has the final authority in this. Yes, Satan might be working overtime, and yes, there might be people who are helping him in that, but ultimately Jesus stands behind that and allows it to happen to us. And this is both... Uncomfortable, he was like Jesus. Come on, what are you doing? Don't you see what we're experiencing? Don't you want to protect us or insulate us from the pressure? And he say, No. The pressure is not a punishment. The pressure is a byproduct of living as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven within the, the, the kingdoms of this world. So no, I'm not going to remove that from you. But I also want to remind you that it's not going to get the last word. Satan might have been the one who's doing the testing in verse 10. But it's only going to happen for 10 days. For a short period of time. It might feel interminable for me. We might go, when is this going to end? He knows when it's going to end. But it will have an end. It will not get the last word. Even, even if it results in our death. Even if it costs us our lives, our jobs, our families our influence, our fans, it will not get the last word. I love the words of Daryl Johnson from this book, Discipleship on the Edge. He says, though our endurance might be tested to the limit unto death, there is a limit to the test. In other words, even death doesn't get the last word. And that's good news for us. And now finally, this brings us to our fourth and final point. There is a reward for those who endure. Go back to this message that Jesus has for those believers living in Smyrna. Second half of verse 10. He says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now, they would automatically think a victor's crown is what you would win when you won the Olympic Games or any of the other games there. You would get a, a laurel or a, a, a crown that goes on your head, and that would typically last for a couple of weeks. It would wilt and it would die. He's saying, I will give you as your victor's crown life, and that life will never wilt, will never die, will never pass away. That's what you get for enduring. And he continues in verse 11. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, in other words, the one that doesn't crumble under the pressure will not be hurt at all by the second death. Well, we all know what the first death is because we are reminded day in and day out of how many people have experienced the first death over these last couple of years. There's a running tally of it. Some of us are intimately familiar with the fact that our bodies are breaking down, and unless Jesus returns very soon, our body will die. That's the first death, and Jesus doesn't promise to protect us from that. But there's a second death that follows, and that is a spiritual death. And that death is an eternal separation from God. It's the opposite of eternal life, which is eternal connection with him. And that second death is reserved only for those who refuse Christ and do not place their trust in him. So you and I, one way or the other, is probably going to experience the first death unless Jesus comes back very soon. But if you place your faith in Jesus and you don't give in, even to the point of death, you will never taste the second death. And I love what a guy named E.B. White, who was a a pastor, I'm sorry, E.V. Hill, who was a pastor up in Los Angeles a long time ago, he wrote this. Those who are born once, die twice. Those who are born twice, die once. I don't know about you, but I pick dying once, right? We place our faith in Jesus Christ when we choose to follow him, even when it gets uncomfortable. Even though it costs us dearly so much so that we would be impoverished because of it. We're only going to taste death once. Now I would be dishonest or I would be uh, disingenuous if I didn't at least admit that there is a way to avoid crushing pressure in America in the 21st century. You don't want to experience the pressure to conform? It's real easy. Don't follow Jesus. You can pay him lip service. You can call him your Lord, but just live for other things. You can even say you're being discipled by him, but really just allow yourself to be discipled by the the station that you get your news from. Or from the people that you want to emulate, your your sports stars and your, your influencers or your friends. Live like the rest of the world and you can avoid persecution because there will be no reason to push back against you. Again, it's only living fish that have to push against the current. Dead fish flow with the current. You want to avoid pressure? Live like the world around you and you will never need to taste that kind of pressure. But neither will you taste The power and the presence and the passion that comes with following Jesus and standing against the flow as it continues to buffet you. And you say, Jesus, I am overwhelmed and I'm scared. But I trust you more than I fear my circumstances, so I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. And I'm going to follow you. There's something absolutely liberating and life-giving When you stand in the firmness of your faith against the very things that you fear and you realize that they don't have any teeth and that the worst that they can do to you is affect your finances or affect your your comfort or even just take your life, but they can't touch your eternity. There's something liberating about not having to live Overwhelmed by fear. And I think that there's a lot of us who have been living overwhelmed by fear. I think that there's some of you who are watching at home right now who have been living overwhelmed by fear and it has been shackling your freedom. And ultimately, I just want us to, this morning, as I invite Jesse and the worship team to come back forward, I want to invite us to fix our eyes back on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, (laughs) disregarding its shame. And ultimately, he overcame death, and he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God, and he tells us, as as we read in chapter 1, you don't have to be afraid, because I hold the keys to death and Hades. You don't have to be afraid of what this world is throwing at you, because I am with you, and I am greater than anything you are going to encounter. So take your eyes off of your circumstances and place them onto me. Trust me. Follow me. And we will overcome. That's our prayer. That's my prayer for us today. So if you bow your heads, I'm going I'm to just pray for each of us that is feeling overwhelmed. Father God, I am grateful for the reminder that you are not far off That we don't have to do things to try to get your attention. You're right here and you know exactly what we're going through. You are intimately familiar with the crushing pressure that each of us are enduring. You know what it has cost us to follow you. Or what it would cost us to follow you if we chose to do so. And right now, Father God, I pray that you would help us to shift our eyes back onto you. Holy Spirit, I invite you in this place as we begin to respond in worship to fix our eyes back onto you and off of our circumstances. I think of that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his mercy and grace. May we turn our eyes to you as we worship now. May we bring the things that have been overwhelming us and lay them down. And even if that means coming to the front here and just kneeling down, or maybe it just looks like taking our hands and opening them up as if we're holding out as an offering the very things that have been scaring us, the very things that we've been asking for and and, and waiting for an answer to. We bring them to you because we know you are here. We know you are near. And we know that you are greater than anything that we face. To you be the glory, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.
1: You like you are Sin was great, but your love was great. Now I will give.
0: Once a week, some of us once a week, we have to worship with the King together. Family's family is so important. Let's just, every voice, I, if you're an introvert, I love it and I value it. But I just want to say this morning, just do it for the person next to you that likely needs to be encouraged. And just sing it out. If you, you should know the words by now and just close your eyes and sing it right to his face. I will give I will give you all.
2: i serious, you can put that down, because I need you. Yeah, can we, can we just show our appreciation to Jesse, who, instead of being at home with his family today, worshiping chose to come and be with our family, and I'm truly grateful for that. As I was worshiping and thinking about what, um, what we've been talking about today, I, I, I cannot help but look out at my family here and just go, man, we've been truly blessed and in some ways sheltered. From the last two years in the impact. And I know that not every church community in Costa Mesa has. Jesse is one of those church communities that the place where they get to gather has been impacted. And so they keep finding themselves shuffling around. And and thankfully they're over right now at Watermark on Saturday nights. Which I'm truly grateful for Ben and them. But I I just feel like this might be a great opportunity since Jesse is here blessing us. If we can bless him by praying over him as well as his church community, community, which is Presence OC, and by extension, the other 59 churches in Costa Mesa and beyond. there are our brothers and our sisters. Jesus is the head of all of us. We're not in competition. We're family. And so I would love for us, and we do this every once in a while, I'm going to invite you in a moment to come forward and lay hands on Jesse. And you may be praying for him and his church community, or you may know a pastor and a church community right around you that you feel put on your heart. Pray for them. But it, for just a moment, can you just tell us a couple of ways we can be specifically praying for you, your family, or your church family?
0: <laughs> Our family just needs Jesus. They got a lot of kids. and <laughs> So my family, just honestly, just just command the blessing of the Lord over it. It's so good. Um, uh, the church you know I, I, I think um, th- honestly the, if you could pray for us that we would grow more hungry for Jesus I pray I, I, I pray that we see uh, the lost saved, the deaf healed, um, the anxious at peace I, and, you know personally for our church we, we we'd love to have a building but we're not limited by a building but you can pray for a new building that we just get to spread a wider spread, just open up our wings a bit, and, and um, so that that would be amazing, a building, I know it's on God's heart, but I'm not worried about the timing, uh, I just pray you play, God, pray God's blessed, best for us,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then um, honestly, yeah, just, I'm like you guys, I, I, I just want to walk this out with the fullness of Christ in me, and so if you could just pray that our church just gets every bit of God that we, that He wants to give us, and so. Is that good? That's great. Can we do that? All right, Jesse, you're going
2: right down there in the middle.
0: For those of you who feel comfortable, come
2: around, surround him, and we are going to pray all together, out loud, at the same time. Jesus makes sense of it. You may be praying for Jesse and Presence OC. You may be praying for another church community, whether it's here in Costa Mesa or beyond. It doesn't really matter because God loves every single one of them. And let's just pray now as a family. Father God, you are the God of all of us. Lighthouse, presence, grace, Rock Harbor, Newport Mesa, the crossing, St. Andrews. There are so many iterations of your family. And we may meet in different places at different times. But we all worship one God. We all serve you. And you are the Lord of all of us. And you have been guiding each of us through this season. I thank you for the ways you have provided for each of us. I thank you for the ways that you have protected each of us. I thank you for the ways that you have glorified yourself, even in the midst of the discomfort, for the ways you've revealed yourself in it. And we right now want to lift up Jesse and his family, their kids by natural birth, the kids that they have adopted, We lift up presence and and his prayer is my prayer for Lighthouse, that your spirit would be free to guide our time, that we would not just come here to learn about you, but we would have an encounter with you so that when we leave here, we leave with you and we get to be your ambassadors of hope as we, like diamonds who have been pressed, now get to reflect and radiate your life into the darkness. So God, I pray that you be glorified in everything as we, your kids, now go and be the church beyond the walls of this place. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Lighthouse community, I love you guys. Have a wonderful week. If you have prayer requests, you can email them to Pastor at Lighthouse Community or you can drop them in the bucket back there. If you want to give, you can give either online or there. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon.